Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment. Hi there, ladies and gents, and welcome to this next episode of the Sophisticated Property Investment Podcast. My name is Frank Flake. I am the founder of Ethical Property Partners, and I am bringing you this podcast from the beautiful Filey Bay. I'm continuing the theme of nature podcasts, and it's funny, I was chatting to my son yesterday Frank Jr. and he was reminding me that we used to have nature wheeze <laughs> and that was when he was caught short as a younger child he's 11 now but uh, when he used to get caught short he oh let's have a nature wee and it, we made a fun thing out of uh, basically having to pull over by the side of the road and running and finding a tree he reminded me of that and I thought oh that's what I did a few weeks ago when we were camping I did a nature podcast and so this is another in the series of nature podcasts I am sat outside overlooking five miles of beautiful beach you may be able to hear the waves in the background you'll probably hear some seagulls flying overhead and this for me is my happy place we're up here for a a week with our blended family the five of us so motivated and inspired by uh by this location and this episode is actually going to revolve a lot around mindset because as as I've said many many times on this podcast it's not the knowledge it's the application of that knowledge the knowledge is quite easy to achieve or to obtain you can read a few books you can go on a few courses you can pay some mentors yes it costs you a bit of money if I think of what I've spent on mentorships and mentoring I'm into solid six figures but that's relatively cheap if you think of what you can make on a single deal in property. I was reading yesterday, um, well, I won't give too many details away because I'm not sure how common knowledge it is, but basically bought a building for around the million pound mark, changed some of the conditions on the building, so changed some details with the tenant, etc., and sold it very, very quickly for double what they paid for it. There are not many businesses where... You don't need any qualifications, no qualifications required for sophisticated property investing. You'll be pleased to know. You don't even need a credit score. <laughs> you can you can do this all with other people's money. You don't need to go to a bank. You don't need to have a relationship. You don't need to have been to a certain school or university. And with the right mindset, the right belief, the right system, you can go and make seven figures in a few short weeks and that is absolutely possible with property investing much easier with sophisticated property investing in this episode i'm going to share with you some of the reasons why most people fail because i know sometimes it must sound like this is really really easy and it's not really really easy it is really really simple (laughs) sophisticated property investing is really simple but most people aren't willing to do what they need to do that is the key most people are just too lazy maybe that's unfair too out of shape and by out of shape i mean unpracticed in mental fitness mental resilience and that's the key i've observed many many times people thrown in the towel they won't say they are 
but you can just see their mindset change. I once remember a partner who's since left us. He'd signed up two deals in a really short period of time. I'd been up and seen the deals in his gold mine area. I remember thinking, that's an awesome start. And then fear set in and doubt set in. And he ended up pulling out of both deals. I remember speaking to one of the uh, the vendors and saying, I'm so sorry. We pride ourselves on on following through on our offers and this partner's let you down. And I wasn't in a position at that stage to step in and buy the properties. They were a long way from where I was based. I hadn't the liquid funds that the deals required, but they were excellent deals. And that's why the partner's no longer with us because <laughs> you kind of set yourself up on a pedestal when you call yourself ethical property partners. And so to have partners running around making offers and then pulling out of them doesn't really cut it. I have seen it many, many times where investors, associates have shot themselves in the foot, just not had it in them to see it through. It can manifest itself in so many different ways. But if you're not getting the results you'd like to be getting, it is definitely 100% down to what's between your ears. It's 100% down to mindset. Because with the right mindset, you can do anything. It's one of the hardest things for people to grasp. Well, you say that, Frank, but actually, in my position, and oh my goodness, the number of people that have said that, and it's often high C people, so the accountants and the, the, the engineers, because they want to see the logical progression. They want to see if I put 10 hours work in today, I'm going to get X out. And if I put 100 hours working over the next month, I'm going to get Y out. And it's not like that. It 100% isn't like that. It's more you sow some seeds this month and you water them next week and you feed them the next month and you pull some weeds the month after. You would expect next summer to get a harvest but it could be an amazing harvest or it could be quite a disappointing harvest or you could be really unlucky and your crop fails because of some pest that you hadn't realized or hadn't known about and you have to redo it all over again. The likelihood is you'll get a harvest that year, but it's not guaranteed. And so maybe you fail again and you have to do it a third year. I have examples of people who've done that, people who are less likely to succeed, far less likely to succeed based on their experience, based on how much money they've got, based on sometimes like their intellect. Like some people are really, really intelligent and some people are less sharp. They just take longer. I've had partners come on board and they go, I can't do the maths, Frank. I cannot do the maths as fast as you. And I said, don't worry about it. You don't have to do fast maths. You can do maths as slow as you like, but you have to do the maths. If you're sat in front of a vendor, you have to be able to work out what to offer. But don't worry, we'll just practice and practice and practice. And I'm not going to name names, but some of our most successful investors on the partnership could not do the maths for toffee at the start. And we laugh about it now. <laughs> they still can't. In the room of, you know, 30 partners, I, we had a monthly training day last week and I don't know how many we had. It was 25, 30 in the room you're running through an example, they're still not the ones putting their hands up at the start. You know, they're not the ones going, oh, I know the answer. Because I always engage the room where we're asking questions and if someone shouts out an answer and it's not right, we'll work through what they did and why it wasn't right, etc. They're not the fastest in the room, but you don't have to be the fastest in the room. You just have to still be in the room when you're offering on the deal. You still have to be in the race. And that's what I'm going to talk about in this episode. And I'm going to dedicate this episode to my friend, Stephen Green, who is a fellow property investor from Redcar. He, this week, has achieved a second world record, actually, 
for triathlon. He's done the longest continuous triathlon. He basically swam, cycled and ran for 30.5 hours. <laughs> yes, that's correct. Three zero hours, 30 hours. Unbelievable achievement. He swam for seven miles. He cycled for 181 miles and then ran for 49 miles. Unbelievable achievement. Some of you will remember I, I gave him a shout out after his last route world record, which was maybe a year ago now, which was two back-to-back Ironmans. Swim, bike, run, and then start again, swim, bike, run, which had never been done before. And the reason I'm dedicating this to Stephen is because he doesn't need to do it. He's a fit lad, evidently. I was very proud of myself when I did my single Ironman. To be fair, I was very proud of myself when I did my half Ironman. But when I did my single Ironman, which is now quite a few years ago, I want to say five or six years ago now, I felt great. I felt amazing. But why does Stephen continue to push himself? He's really fit. He's served in our armed forces. I've seen video of him windmilling which is where you uh, box in the army. I think it's the army without defending yourself. So all you can do is punch. And like the raw aggression and bravery is like it oozes out of Stephen. So he's got nothing to prove. Super successful in uh, business. He's had TV shows made about him and stuff. Why does he do it? And I'm not going to hypothesize. I'm not going to answer for him. I will ask him and uh, I'll invite him on the podcast. But I want to ask you, why do you think he does that? The training sacrifice, the sacrifice of time, the time he hasn't spent with his family in order to train for this, the time he hasn't invested in his business, the money that this has cost him. He's obviously got a highly professional team working with him to help him to achieve such amazing feats. That's costly. How does he do it and why does he do it? And I'm going to elaborate on that in this podcast because it does come back to success in business. The two guys that first landed on the moon, Neil Armstrong and Edwin Buzz Aldrin, they were superheroes. They trained for that mission for years and years and years, perhaps even decades at the back of their mind. How did they feel when they got back? Well, it's a common phenomenon when athletes that have trained for their entire lives get their Olympic gold medal when astronauts get their spacewalk or get to land on the moon. It's very easy to come back and be empty. And this is the same thing as people wanting to win the lottery. If you're sat there and you're thinking, I've not got any property investments or I've got five property investments. If I had 50, everything would be hunky-dory. I'd wake up feeling 10 times happier. I wouldn't have any problems. That's rubbish. That is not the case. Tony Robbins says that when you get more capable and you get more success, you get bigger problems. And I have this theory that whatever your ability to cope with adversity is, face that, that much adversity. You'll create your life in order to have that much stress in it. If you currently have some problems and you solve those problems, you're now comfortable at solving those problems. You're just going to get bigger problems. So you have to get comfortable with having problems to solve. You have to get comfortable with overcoming that adversity. Or in the case of the gold medal winning Olympic athletes or the astronauts, you have to be able to cope with the downside of the massive high 
of waking up the next morning. And I can remember after my Ironman, and it's a very small example, I'm not trying to equate this with an Olympic gold medal or walking on the moon or um, a world record triathlon. But I can remember the next day waking up and I, I felt like I was 12 inches taller. I was an Ironman. And like literally I walked around and I was like, yes, I've done this. And it's because I'd worked at it for 12 months, longer even. When are you going to challenge yourself? When are you going to start something that you are more than likely to fail at just to prove to yourself how hard you can try at something before you quit? When you're not even willing to quit, you need to react to situations better, more positively, and then you'll get the results that you desire because you'll be deserving of them. It comes first. You can't do it the other way around. You can't say, oh, I'll start thinking like a millionaire when I'm a millionaire. You need to start thinking like a millionaire and then you'll earn the million to become a millionaire. That enjoyment in pushing yourself is really well described in David Goggins' book. He's written a couple now, but have a read of David Goggins. Really, really powerful descriptions of enjoying that discomfort, enjoying that pain. He talks about doing a 100-mile race in the American heat at the end of it, he was curled up in a ball on the floor in the shower. He urinated and blood came out. That's how much he'd broken his body. His wife said, do you want me to take you to hospital? He's like, no, let me just lie here and enjoy this. And seriously, he was enjoying overcoming the adversity. He knew it was going to pass. He knew he'd feel amazing afterwards. And that's someone who, if you know Goggins' story, he was multiple stones overweight before the military, he had no prospects whatsoever. He ate junk. He didn't exercise. I think he's now the only member of the US Special Forces in all three of the armed forces. And I think we can all be fat and lazy if we're not careful. But fat and lazy feels good if you've just achieved something. So going on holiday and not working out, not doing any work eating whatever you want, drinking whatever you want. That feels amazing and is good for you for a short period of time. If that becomes the norm, and this is the problem with people who haven't earned their money getting given it, and it can be kids. My kids get my money at 35 years old. If I die tomorrow, my kids don't get it until they're 35. And the will writer said to me, that, that's incredibly late. I've never done a will where it's held in trust. Often it's 18 or 21. And the reason is I don't want to handicap my children by giving them money that they haven't earned. I want them to earn their own money. I want them to find their way in life before they are burdened with money that they haven't learned how to manage. To my friends that are multimillionaires, that makes complete sense. But to people who haven't earned money, that doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't you give it to your children sooner? Well, it's like, it's like saying, why don't you give all the ice cream that you can find in a shop to a five-year-old? Because they'll eat so much, they'll vomit, and it'll all melt, and it'll all be wasted. It's the same principle. I had a client, he helped me um, kick off the Stepping Stones housing project, Andy Townsend absolutely amazing guy from Derby. He decided to run the Marathon de Saab, which is a marathon through the, I think it's the Sahara Desert. Incredibly hard training regime to train yourself to run in that kind of heat, especially when you live in Derby. But he did it. He found a way. He went down to Loughborough and said, can I train in your 
heat chamber. They have like a chamber where they can raise the humidity or decrease the humidity, raise the temperature and felt amazing afterwards. That fire inside of you, it's always there. But if it's not been ignited for a while, if it's just been simmering, if it's just hot coals for too long, it starts to die out. And then your ability to bring it back to life isn't there. The, the self-confidence isn't there. The practice isn't there. And so it's absolutely critical to practice getting that fire going. Sir Bradley Wiggins, first UK winner of the Tour de France. He used to go out and ride mile after mile after mile in Yorkshire, 4 a.m., 5 a.m., 6 a.m., 9 p.m. in the rain and the wind, and no one used to bat an eyelid. Is that crazy cyclist? After he won the Tour de France, crowds of people trying to cycle with him. They wanted the shortcut. They're like, oh, I'm going to train with Bradley Wiggins because I live around the corner from him. But, and he says in his book, where were they when I was putting in the hard miles? In order to prepare himself... For the Tour de France, he converted his garden shed into a sauna. So he put all these heaters in there and he used to sit in that for eight hours a day cycling on a stationary bike to get fit, to get mentally fit to cope with the heat, to get physically fit to cope with the heat. And then he achieved it, massively achieved it. So what happens when you feel rubbish? What happens when you feel a bit lower? Because in my experience, people can then hit a really damaging downward spiral. You feel a little bit rubbish, so you take worse actions, make worse decisions, think more negatively, and then you feel even worse. And you can get worse and worse and worse. But what about the reverse? How do you stop yourself taking those negative actions and start pulling yourself up? Well, for me, it's coming here. It's coming to Filey Bay, to my beach house. I went for a bike ride yesterday um, evening. There's a gym just along the beach. And so I jumped on my bike it was high tide. It was 20 minutes from high tide. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a tough cycle ride. So I went along the beach already really hard because it's soft sand, but the tide was coming in. I had to keep cycling through the water. So my feet got wet cycling. I just about could cycle. Water was about six, eight inches high in places. And then there were people packing up there. I bet they thought I was absolutely crazy, actually. It's like 7 p.m., something like that. They're all packing up their sandcastles, and I'm hammering it along the beach, sweating buckets. Got to the gym, and the gym had closed. On the website, it said they opened till 8. <laughs> In actual fact, they closed at, uh, at 6. So I was like, ah, oh, but I had an amazing 20, 25-minute bike ride. I was like, that's fine. I'll just turn around and cycle back. So I turned around, jumped back on my bike and cycled back to the beach house. And I hammered it again. But this time the tide was even higher. So I couldn't cycle. It was like half a meter deep. I was like, oh, I'm going to wreck my bike in the salt water. And I've managed to just about keep my disc brakes out of the salt water. And um, I thought, and I'm going to probably fall off. And I don't really want to be like wading through half a meter of sea so I decided to carry my bike on my shoulder up the cliffs to get around like this headland where the sea was really high so I'm carrying my bike and I was laughing at myself I was actually laughing out loud and I thought to myself this is what it's about this is how you feel amazing on a regular basis that's I often will challenge myself and I'm trying to teach my kids to do this challenge themselves in a way that they're likely to fail like if, if one of my sons says, Dad, can you pass me this? I go, yeah, you ready to catch it? Oh, Dad, what if I drop it? Yeah, maybe you drop it. Maybe it's going to break. But do you want to try catching it? How will you feel if you do catch it? And not everyone can get that. And there's many reasons why that's a stupid idea. But there's many reasons why that's a brilliant idea. To get comfortable with taking risk. To get comfortable with putting it all on the line. 
and I carried the bike and I nearly slipped down. I was like, oh my goodness, no one knows where I am. The tide's coming in. <laughs> At one point I was like, oh no, I'm going to let go of my bike. And I was like, no, you can't let go of your bike. It will fall in the sea. <laughs> Keep hold of your bike. <laughs> so I was like trying to maneuver this bike. It must have looked hilarious. This is like as it's starting to turn into dusk and the waves are crashing. And I was like, oh, this is just amazing though. I got back. My other half and my mum's here and her partner's with us and there's like seven of us here. And they were like, oh, I'm so sorry the uh, gym was shut. And I was like, oh, don't be sorry. It was like the most amazing cycle ride ever. I loved it. If I'd gone to the gym, I wouldn't have cycled back along the beach. I would have gone around the roadway and it wouldn't have been as nice. But because the gym was shut, I came back and I chanced death. It wasn't really chancing death, but it felt like it at times. In prehistoric times, we would have been chased by a tiger. We would have had to walk for miles and miles and miles to find food or water we were at the zoo yesterday with my boys and kangaroos apparently can bound or bounce or hop whatever kangaroos do 200 kilometers to find water that's overcoming adversity when was the last time one of us walked 200 kilometers to get some water when was the last time we walked more than 50 yards to get some water and that's it if you have designed your life to be so comfortable so easy that there is zero adversity, you're not fit for adversity. You're not prepared to overcome adversity. And that, therein lies the problem. That is your issue. It's now possible to live completely in our comfort zone our whole lives. But that doesn't make us happy. I remember my neighbor, this is going back to my first ever house, my next door neighbor said, I'm never going to be one of those blokes that walks down to the newsagents every morning to buy the paper and walks back and then reads it all day. He said, that's my idea of retirement hell. And that image has stayed with me. It's like, yeah, as a one-off, if randomly you've got the house to yourself and there are no kids and your other half is somewhere else and you decide to walk to the newsagents, buy the newspaper and read it for the whole day, that's amazing. Good for you. Enjoy that. It's the same as for me, like watching the Grand Prix or they sometimes have Super Sunday, don't they? There's like a football match and then a Grand Prix and then there might be something else in the evening and you can watch a whole day of sport and have a load of beers and have some mates over and it's great. But it's great because it's a one-off. It would be rubbish if it was the norm. And that's the thing. We don't get chased by tigers anymore. We don't run out of food anymore. <laughs> we nearly did toilet paper in covid but that's the thing really is that what people now like is that the the level of hardship that we're worried about toilet paper like i remember thinking to myself we used to use leaves can we not use leaves you could use soap and water couldn't you <laughs> like there's a lot of things you could use you could you could maybe use paper towels you know kitchen towels <laughs> i don't want to get too graphic but there's a lot of ways of wiping your backside aren't there and people were like fighting over rolls of toilet paper in the uh in the supermarkets that just shows me that people don't test themselves they don't practice overcoming adversity and that's an issue it's a massive issue for us but it's a massive issue for you when you come across sophisticated property investment deals that don't go to plan because none of them go to plan i can't remember a deal that ever went perfectly to plan so if you're not practiced at dealing with things that don't go to plan well, how are you going to deal with it how are you going to overcome it and here's the the light bulb moment you're not you're going to fail and if you're below the line you're going to blame it on someone else you're going to deny it's a problem it's just one of those things you're going to do anything other than take responsibility for it you're going to make excuses for why it didn't happen the sas 
train this incredibly well. If you want to have a look at the SAS Code of Ethics and Values, it's enlightening. But I'll share one of their mottos with you. And it's cheerfulness in the face of adversity. What an amazing statement. These are people that are putting their lives on the line for one another. Cheerfulness in the face of adversity. Get shot in the... I watched an episode actually where someone got shot in the hand. You're under fire. Your life is in danger. But you can still keep a, a smile on your face. You can still have that camaraderie. This is through a lot of years of training and experience and real world experience of diversity. Think of the SAS. They go into the most hostile environments imaginable. There are multiple enemies with weapons designed to kill them. And they're going in as a small crack team to achieve an objective. Over years and years of experience, they realize that a positive mental attitude is critical to that. And people poo-poo PMA, positive mental attitude, and self-help books, and meditation, and visualization, and dream boards, and that. But that's what the SAS are doing. They don't do it with (laughs) those exact tools. That'd be funny, wouldn't it? Right then, lads, we're going to cut out our dream boards here. (laughs) Let's have a session where we visualize. But do you know what they are actually doing? They plan their objective. You're going to run here. You're going to go here. You're going to provide support. We're going to have the helicopter here. We're going to extract so-and-so. We're going to assassinate so-and-so. They are actually visualizing it. (laughs) They're just not cutting out little pictures and putting them into a dream board. Cheerfulness in the face of adversity. I think that's a motto to live by. But you have to create that adversity, guys. The SAS does it for you. Stephen Green's doing it for himself. Andy Townsend did it for himself. I'm doing it for myself. I need a new challenge at the moment. I know that I need another challenge. I'm challenging myself in my business. I'm loving that. I'm challenging myself in my personal life because of my changing circumstances. But from a health and fitness perspective, I need to challenge myself. Are you challenging yourselves in all areas of your life? Because if you're not, you're shrinking. And if you're shrinking, you're becoming less able to cope you're going to become less successful and it isn't instant it's not like you press a button and the result pops out it's like the farmer who sows the seed it's like the farmer who could water his crop tonight or not water it and if you don't water it tonight it's probably okay you can water it tomorrow but if you then don't water it tomorrow and you don't water it the next day and the next day it accumulates and then the crop fails Whereas the farmer who waters it tonight and waters it next week and feeds it next month is far more likely to succeed, not guaranteed, but more likely to succeed. And so are you doing the right things? Are you ensuring your success? Because it is guaranteed if you do the right things for long enough. We talk about unavoidable results in EPP. If you put the quality into the sausage machine, quality sausages come out the other end, perhaps not immediately. Success is unavoidable. If you take the right actions, if you think the right thoughts, if you prepare yourself. And so I will let you know how we get on as a partnership in September when we have our annual retreat. If you want to be on the annual retreat, guys, you still can. It is only open to clients, members and partners. But hey, to become a member costs £3,000, right? You get to be a member for four months. So get in touch with us, become a member for four months, even if it's just to come on the annual retreat. We do the annual retreat at cost, so you pay for the uh, hotel and food. I think currently it's like £1,500 or something. I think we're running a discount at the moment, so you might get it for a bit less than that. And... You can come for three whole days and experience that EPP culture for what? 
£4,000. Unbelievable. Plus you get four months of input from us at EPP. We'll help you to design your 12-month business plan. We'll help you to market for your sophisticated deals. We'll help you to get this positive mental attitude that you need, this resilience, this cheerfulness in the face of adversity, this attitude of we can overcome anything. So if you fancy that, if you've been inspired by this podcast, get in touch with us. Guys, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I've certainly enjoyed it. Guys, until next time, happy investing. Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment.